Western Carolina University political scientist Chris Cooper. Welcome back, Chris. Thanks. Great to be here. And so, Chris, we have this Supreme Court case going on right now Mm -hmm. out of Wisconsin about gerrymandering. Mm -hmm. Uh, My first question to you, we have three gerrymandering cases Mm -hmm. going on at the same time, as far as I understand, dealing with kind of the same thing. One's Mm -hmm. in Maryland, one's in North Carolina, and Mm -hmm. then there's this Wisconsin one. So with the Wisconsin one ahead of the Supreme Court, Mm -hmm. does the North Carolina one not matter? It's not that it doesn't matter. I think all of these are kind of best perceived as kind of changing the national stage a little bit. I mean, the Wisconsin one is front and center because it's the first one that's come before the Supreme Court that's about partisan gerrymandering, right? So previous to this, the court has said, hey, you can't really gerrymander based on race. You can't have race as a predominant factor. This is the first time that a court has said, hey, maybe partisanship is one that is also able to be brought up before the court and that it's not okay to cross a certain line. So that's really what's at stake here in Wisconsin is, can you gerrymander based on party to a point where it becomes unconstitutional? Okay. And it seems very similar in Wisconsin to what we're having Mm -hmm. right here in North Carolina, where it's a pretty evenly split state Mm -hmm. and the Republicans have a huge advantage. Could you speak to that a little bit? No, absolutely. So the the Wisconsin case and the North Carolina case are fairly similar in some ways. Both states are swing states by most definitions. They're fairly tight states. Smart people might disagree about who has the advantage. But in both states, the state legislature, the General Assembly in our case, is controlled overwhelmingly by Republicans. And so the question is, why is that? And there's there's a couple answers, right? One is just simply where people live. Um, the fact that Democrats tend to live around Democrats, Republicans tend to live around Republicans, and that it doesn't really matter how you draw those lines, you're going to have a little bit of a bias there. But then the question is, hey, the folks in charge of drawing the lines, are they drawing it in a way to benefit their own team? And essentially, the Republicans in both cases, cases said, yeah, we are, but it's totally legal. And then the Democrats are saying, no, 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 you've kind of gone too far. We're allowed to sue you for uh, equal representation. Yeah, I know Republicans will make the argument that Democrats are clustered in the cities. Mm -hmm. And so um, geographically, they represent a smaller area. Mm -hmm. But of course, they live in these high density population centers, Mm -hmm. which are, I guess, having their power a little bit diluted. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. So there is kind of a natural bias, if you will, built in uh, towards Republicans away from Democrats because of the way Democrats are clustered. So one kind of easy way to think about that is about 70 percent of big city mayors in this country are Democrats. So that's just kind of one example of how cities are increasingly Democratic, but at the same time, the Republicans are sort of dispersed. So the name of the game in politics is obviously to win as many races as you can, but by as small a margin as you can, right? You don't want to win 90% to 10% because essentially everything past 50% plus one is kind of a wasted vote. And so Republicans are a little bit more efficient with the way that their voters are distributed just kind of naturally throughout the state, whether it's North Carolina or Wisconsin. And I like that you use the word efficient because uh, we're going to be talking about this thing called the efficiency Mm -hmm. gap. Explain to me what that is. Yeah. So Political scientists and social scientists in general for a long time have been trying to say, hey, what is a standard we can use, right? So Justice Kennedy a number of years ago said maybe we can – 
look at this as a court based on partisan gerrymandering, but you got to give us a standard we can apply across multiple states in multiple cases. And so a political scientist named Eric McGee uh, came up with this notion of the efficiency gap in a, in a paper he published in a wonky political science journal. And for once, a political science journal got read by somebody other than a political scientist. And so <laughs> Eric McGee sets this thing out and he says, look, let's count up all the votes across the state and let's separate them out by district and let's see who wastes more votes. And if that ratio of wasted votes is greater than seven to one, essentially, or greater than this sort of number of seven, then, hey, it's too much of a gerrymander. And so that's one of the big things the court is debating in Wisconsin. And one of the kind of funny sidelines of the um, oral argument was that Chief Justice Roberts called uh, this whole thing sociological gobbledygook which as a political scientist is quite offensive to be compared to a sociologist. But uh, but even moving beyond that, I think it sort of shows that a lot of this case is going to be decided based on whether you buy this statistical standard. And so they're trying to basically win the vote of one guy, and mm-hmm. that's Anthony Kennedy, because mm-hmm. uh, years ago there was a five to four decision that basically upheld partisan gerrymandering. Right. So now they're trying to get it basically five to four. And I guess that's what they're assuming it'll be a five to four, because we usually have pretty safe liberal votes and pretty mm-hmm. safe conservative votes on the Supreme Court. Uh, so all eyes are on Anthony Kennedy. During oral arguments on Tuesday, was there any indication which way he's leaning? You know, it was really hard to tell. So if you go back and look at the transcripts, um, Kennedy did voice a number of concerns. It's really hard to tell where he's leaning. I think it's ultimately going to come down to whether they buy this standard. There was also a, a pretty interesting argument where some of the justices were arguing, hey, even if you don't buy the efficiency gap, we can look at these other standards. For example, some people argue if you compare the mean and the median, if you remember your kind of stats 101, oh, yeah. and if the difference between the mean and the median is too large, hey, that's a illegal gerrymandering. And there was another one where a political scientist at the University of Michigan ran kind of hundreds of simulations on a computer and said, what we ended up with in Wisconsin is so different than any simulation you can come up with that it is illegal. But really, this is a matter, we've said in the past that gerrymandering is in the eye of the beholder. And this case is really about, can we statistically determine what the beholder should be seeing? I read a column by George Will recently, and he was saying that there were some flaws in the plaintiff's argument. Mm -hmm. Now, George Will comes from the conservative perspective. I believe he was saying that on the one hand, it's going to be hard for the plaintiffs to prove harm, Mm -hmm. uh, actual harm to themselves, and that maybe the seven to one ratio is a Mm -hmm. bit arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think about that? Yeah, I think both things are are true. I mean, these are good arguments. This is a, is a tough case. So on the one hand, what the plaintiffs are arguing is that, hey, if I live in District A, but the whole state leans against my party in numbers that are unfair, then that harms me, right? So this kind of question of, of who's being harmed. And, and that is, a you know, some folks that argue a, a big stretch, and I think is a legitimate conversation folks should be having. This seven number is somewhat arbitrary, right? So mm-hmm. I don't think anybody doubts that the efficiency gap is uh, is kind of a reasonable way to think about these things. The question is, where do you draw the line? Do you draw the line at seven? Do you draw the line at five? Do you draw the line at 11? What's interesting if for North Carolina case is that North Carolina's congressional districts would be unconstitutional if this standard is applied. 
whether it's seven or even if that standard moves up a little bit. What if the court decides maybe seven's not the right number? Do they have the power to go in and basically say, okay, not seven, but we'll do it eight to one? Right. No, it's a, a great point. <laughs> they can certainly make that argument yeah. in, uh, in an opinion, but no, they wouldn't uh, necessarily change the number. I, th- I think I in this case, they're it's possible they could say, hey, maybe we don't buy the seven. Maybe we don't buy the efficiency gap, but we buy that in general, Wisconsin's districts are drawn in such a way that it did bring harm to the minority party, in this case, the Democrats. Now, in your course uh, that you teach at mm-hmm. Western Carolina yeah. University, you did some work with the efficiency yeah. gap and actually applied it. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I kind of had my students try to apply, not try, but actually apply this to North Carolina. So we just sat down and did a little bit of math and, and looked at North Carolina's districts. And uh, despite Justice Roberts calling it sociological gobbledygook and sort of implying that, hey, it's a hard thing to understand, it's really not. After about 15 minutes of explanation, um, I think our students are brilliant, of course, but <laughs> about 25 to 30 uh, Western Carolina University students were able to calculate it successfully for the state of North Carolina. Um, and kind of a nice teaching moment later on that night, I got an email from another student who lived in the state of Virginia. And he said, hey, look, I'm trying to calculate the efficiency gap for Virginia. Is my math right? And uh, so, so I think that shows that, look, you can apply these things. It's pretty simple math, pretty simple division and subtraction. Um, the question is whether it accurately describes what is a true gerrymander. And what did you find? Uh, In North Carolina, yeah, we absolutely would violate the efficiency gap principle. And I think that's pretty consistent. One of the other questions about this, however, is how it applies to state legislative districts. So in the state of North Carolina, about half of our state legislative districts are unopposed. And so smart people kind of disagree about what do you do with these unopposed districts? And I think that's another kind of important footnote on the Justice's discussion from the other day is how do you handle uncontested elections? And what's been the harm, I guess, numbers wise Mm -hmm. in terms of our delegation when it comes to gerrymandering in North Carolina? Yeah, it's a it's a a good question and a hard one to answer, right? I think it depends on some of the assumptions you make and some of the tests that you apply. But if you kind of no matter the measure in North Carolina or in Wisconsin, the Republicans have a greater share than you would imagine based on most any test, the efficiency gap, the mean median test, running simulations, the Republicans are benefiting. Um, The question is whether that's okay or not, right? So the Republican Party would say, hey, that may be true, but it's legal. And we're allowed to do it. And there's nothing that says we can't. And the Democrats were absolutely doing this in North Carolina before. And we have evidence, for example, from Maryland, the Democrats are doing the same thing right now. Mm -hmm. Well, we have we know that we have 13 members of Congress. Mm -hmm. Ten of them are Republicans. uh, Three of them are Democrats. And that happened in an election where Democrats lost the state presidentially, but won the governor's race. So it was kind of a mixed result for Mm -hmm. Democrats. So obviously we have that. And then when you look here in Western North Carolina, we were represented by two Republicans in Congress. You might argue Asheville has no representation. If you think of Asheville as what people think of it as is very liberal, then they don't have a representative in Congress. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, we're in a lot of ways ground zero for this redistricting discussion, right? So we were represented, as most folks remember, by Heath in the 11th Congressional District by Heath Shuler, and the 10th was uh, was by Patrick McHenry, right? So then um, Heath Shuler, the Democrat, decides that he's not going to run again, but he decides to do that right after the lines are redrawn. So overnight, the 11th Congressional District went from being the most competitive district in the state, 
um, by presidential vote anyway, to being the most Republican district in the state by presidential vote. And that happened one day, it was the most competitive, the next day it was the most Republican. And so Shuler decided soon after to not run. Mark Meadows uh, ran in a pretty hotly contested primary field and then, you know, had a strong challenger on the Democratic side and has now sort of coasted to victory since then. So, yeah, there's a real question. And I think smart folks can disagree about whether that was fair, whether that was unfair. Um, and what we're seeing now is the question of whether that is legal or illegal. Now, in um, in the Wisconsin case, of mm-hmm. course, all eyes are on Wisconsin. But in the North Carolina case, are they making the same argument? Are they trying to apply that efficiency gap? Is that what's going on? So the, the efficiency gap has been part of it, right? So you can sort of read the briefs that are being given by both sides. And there is, once again, a debate over social science in some ways, right? A debate over what counts as a gerrymander. I mean, the, the entire, we've been talking about gerrymandering for a long time, right? The name comes from Elbridge Jerry, which I think was actually pronounced Gary with a hard G. We've sort of been mispronouncing it for a couple hundred years. But right. anyway, he was the governor of Massachusetts. Gerrymandering. That's right. It should really be gerrymandering. It probably won't catch on. <laughs> but uh, let's, let's try. We, we can give it a shot today here. But, <laughs> so essentially, he um, was part of, of this gerrymandering or, or gerrymandering, this kind of drawing lines to benefit his party, right? So then there's a political cartoon that said, hey, this funky looking district looks like a salamander, really looks kind of like a gerrymander. And then that is sort of kept going on. So it's been a hard thing to legislate and a hard thing for the courts to weigh in on because we're essentially arguing over a political cartoon, right? These were not hard lines that were drawn in the first place. Yeah. So for the, you know, over a hundred years, we've been having this conversation in the United States about what is a gerrymander and what goes too far and what does not. And why is it, uh, you may know the history, why is it, it seems uh, really counterintuitive to me, the idea that politicians would be in charge of drawing maps. Right. How did this happen? Yeah, I mean, it is it is kind of an interesting one, right? It'd be like the, you know, Packers win a game and they say, okay, in the next game, you guys get to decide how many points a touchdown's worth, how many field goals <laughs> worth. Right. But, um, so the idea, right, the Constitution lays out uh, that we need to, to draw new lines every 10 years based on a census. And that makes a lot of sense, right? People move around. Asheville's becoming more populated. The Rust Belt's becoming less populated. So you got to shift folks around. Um, in the early 1900s, we used to have um, a certain number of member of Congress for every X number of people. And then in the early 1900s, we said, hey, look, 435 is enough, right? We kind of need to stop here. Sort of an arbitrary number there. So now we're we're redistributing this 435 members across places. And so we've always done it having the legislators themselves draw these lines, the state legislators who had a lot of power in the Constitution to draw these lines. Now, different states have made their own rules, right? So California has said, hey, we're going to take this out of the hands of the politicians. So we're going to give it to a nonpartisan redistricting commission. Some folks argue that's worked well. Some folks argue it hasn't. Um, states like Arkansas have done some of the same, but I believe their panel is a three-person panel that consists of three politicians. So there's a lot of different ways to, to, to skin this cat, so to speak. Okay. Well, uh, when do we expect a ruling in the Wisconsin case or the North Carolina case? Yeah. I guess? So the Wisconsin one, I think June, the, the North Carolina one, I'm, I'm a little less certain exactly when it's going to be handed down, but I think we're looking at June for, for Wisconsin. What's the current status of the North Carolina case? I mean, it's not yeah. before the Supreme Court. No, no, it's not before the Supreme Court. It's still being debated kind of in lower court. So that's why kind of all eyes are on Wisconsin right now, because it's the one that the Supreme Court has taken up. Okay. 
I'm only going to ask you to make a prediction if you want to. Do you want to predict on the, the partisan chair? Uh, yeah, okay. It's, it's a, well, let me give yeah. you a hypothetical then. Let's yeah. say that the court uh, says partisan gerrymandering no longer legal. Yep. And that ruling comes down in June. We've got elections right around the corner. That's right. What happens next? Chaos, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, and that was one of the arguments that Justice Roberts and some others were making. They said, look, if we implement this standard, Everything goes haywire. All of a sudden, we're going to have lawsuits around the country. Everybody's going to have to be redrawing maps all the way around the country. And so some folks have said that's too much. And Justice Roberts also argued, look, this is putting the courts in a very political situation. Mm -hmm. It's essentially saying, hey, the courts are deciding which party gets to have the majority, which party has the minority. Um, so, yeah, I think if this Wisconsin case happens, uh, a lot of folks will be happy. A lot of folks will be upset and they'll be kind of you know, chaos around the country yeah. in a lot of ways. And I think Democrats would probably be very happy because they're probably the ones least advantaged by gerrymandering yes. currently. Uh, but could it be a case where they need to be careful what they're wishing for? Because you got states like Maryland and California. In Illinois, right? Yeah. So absolutely. This is, I think both sides should be careful what they're wishing for here. One thing we know about American politics is the pendulum swings both ways. So right now, the Democrats tend to be for redistricting reform broadly defined the republicans tend to be against it there's a lot of reasons why but certainly one is that the republicans control the vast majority um, almost two-thirds of our state legislative houses and they're the ones drawing these lines were those numbers to flip uh, I, I would bet that we would see uh, pretty different opinions on this matter yeah all right well chris cooper thank you so much thanks it's a pleasure